Double your defences by getting your COVID-19 and flu vaccines this winter. They're free for over 50s, those at clinical risk, pregnant women, carers, people with learning disabilities, as well as health and social care workers. Don't delay. Get both vaccines now. It's safe to have them both at the same time. Double your defences. Get vaccinated. Get protected. Go to nhs.uk to find out more. This is our People podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hello, my name is Fiona Thompson. I'm a communications officer with South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. I am joined today at last by AJ Cotter-Dew. Uh, you are clinical lead for the hospital here at Sunderland Eye Infirmary and you're also a consultant specialising in medical retina and inherited retinal disease. So we're going to go into that in a little bit of detail, aren't you? Yes. Okay, so um, tell us first of all a little bit about your role here at Sunderland Eye Infirmary. So first of all, I'm a consultant ophthalmologist. So I specialised in eyes after finishing my medicine. Then I had a special interest in managing medical retina conditions um, where you treat conditions like age-related macular degeneration. We can go into these diseases in a little bit more detail later on. And also conditions like diabetes affecting your eyes. Inherited diseases are the ones that you inherit when you're born. So you get half the genes from your mom and half from your dad. So if you have any faulty genes that affect your eye health, and retina, they are called inherited retinal diseases. So I look after patients who have inherited retinal diseases. The most common one being retinitis pigmentosa, which causes night blindness. And I'm also a clinical director for ophthalmology where I a clinical lead and uh, I look after the service in Sunderland Eye Infirmary. Right, okay. So tell us a little bit more about your role here at Enfield. So, so you got kind of got like a dual, dual role. So, um, what do you do in terms of your clinical work? So I have, most of my work is clinical, like 70% of my work is clinical and 30% is almost managerial where I look after the service. So whether the theatres are running well or whether the emergency department is working okay and I get monitored on the performance too behind the, the overall management team at Sunland Royal uh, Hospital and the city, uh, you know, South Tyneside and Sunland NHS Trust. So I'm responsible to the trust as well, but I'm foremost, I'm responsible for my patients and all the care that happens in the eye infirmary, including all the departments within the eye infirmary. Because this is the first podcast we've done about our, um, our eye infirmary, so we should probably introduce it a little bit. So um, it's a separate site to Sunderland Royal, we're in uh, Queen Lives Alexandra Road, it's quite a, an old building and we're going to come on to a little bit more about that later on, but it's quite special isn't it, for our region and, and UK wide? So, Eye Infirmary is one of the oldest uh, standalone eye hospitals in the country. Uh, I think 200 years ago, these eye hospitals were established at the coast, along the uh, coast of the sea, to take care of uh, problems of the sailors who come with eye problems. That was the you know initial thought behind establishing eye hospitals along the coast. But since then, most of these units got absorbed into the main site. But uh, there are only one or two left behind where they still continue as independent sites. 
and Sunderland is one of them and I'm quite proud to be part of that setup and it works really well and we are a center of excellence uh, in taking care of eyes. Uh, apart from Sunderland I'm from I can only think of Moorfields Eye Hospital and one other hospital which is separate site and it gives that freedom and uh, also the expertise to concentrate in one place and that's why we set up standards and uh, one of our pathways is set taken up as nationally as the example of good uh, pathway for cataract surgery. So we, had, we set examples and standards and that's why this setup of having a separate hospital for eyes works really well. And how many people roughly do you have working at this site alone? So Sangata Infirmary has about 250 to 300 employees uh, including doctors, nurses and various other specialists who work in this place. We're going to go into a bit of detail about just how much, uh, how many things you do here. It's quite a, it's quite a list. Yeah. Um, but what became, what kind of started your journey of becoming a doctor, and why did you specialise in eyes? Why did you end up doing that more? I do come from a family of doctors. So I, my grandfather, my uncle, they're all doctors, and I grew up, uh, you know, going into clinics and hospitals. So that created interest for me to become a doctor. And once I became a doctor, I was part of an eye camp where you treat people with advanced cataracts in very rural locations. And I saw patients getting gratified with cataract surgery, immediate improvement in vision. That kind of, you know, sparked my interest in ophthalmology and I thought I could make a difference to people seeing better. Uh, obviously, cataracts are very different in the Western world where I practice now, but I still feel that ophthalmology has got one of the greatest variety of things in the specialty. So you would be interested in one part of the ophthalmology or not. I thought I will contribute more, I will find something that really suits me and I'm very happy that I chose ophthalmology uh, as my career. Because you trained in India, didn't you? I did. Um, and so tell us a little bit more about those eye camps and what brought you to the UK as well. So I did my medicine in India and then I studied ophthalmology in India as well. Then uh, during that course of uh, ophthalmology in India, uh, you always go to rural villages who don't have uh, access to excellent healthcare and also they're a bit timid in approaching um, bigger cities and uh, modern hospitals. So you conduct eye camps where you collect patients with uh, advanced cataracts or any simple things that you can treat and uh, you either perform cataract surgery on the site, which used to be the case long time ago, not now. Uh, at present, you collect those patients and you bring them back to a district hospital or a, a setup where there is uh, clean facilities available and a theater available and you operate on them. And then you go back and check on them to see they've made a good recovery. And if somebody had any complications, you take them back to your base hospitals where you started from and give them the advanced treatment that is needed. So that gives them access to healthcare in their own place so that they don't have to travel to major cities and they're not scared of going to a modern hospital that they uh, they might not be able to cope. Got you. And, um, I think you were telling me that they carry out hundreds of cataract operations in one day? Yeah, <laughs> yes. That's amazing, isn't it? So I think when I was there almost 20 years ago, each camp used to have at least 200 surgeries performed in in the space of about two to three days, um, but that's a totally different setup, a model that suits India and its rural population, not here. And so what brought you to Britain? So 
I, as I was training in ophthalmology in India, uh, I was training in a government institute. Some of these facilities lack modern cataract surgery or modern uh, surgical uh, equipment, and I always wanted to learn the best possible surgical techniques and best possible way of managing things. So one way of doing that was to come to UK, and uh, I always, as a child, thought, you know, FRC off then having a degree from Royal College of Ophthalmologists was the best possible degree in the world. So I chose UK. And the second thing that attracted me to UK was this universal healthcare so that I don't have to differentiate uh, giving care based on their economic background, their paying ability. Uh, that is a really attractive option. In India, most of it is private healthcare. And this discrimination I never you know, liked. So I, I really enjoy working in NHS. We're very pleased to have you. And um, you mentioned there that um, that the, the the camps that they held to, and I presume they still hold them to give back care. We also cover quite a huge area, and we kind of gather a lot of people in. What what kind of area do we do we cover? Because I think patients come sometimes they can be very local, but they come quite a distance to us as well, don't they? Yeah, I mean, Sunderland Nine from covers a large population, even though the trust itself covers a smaller area. We seem to get patients from long distances. Uh, if you go back to as north as Berwick, Cumbria, uh, as well as as down as Stockton uh, and uh, you know all those areas because of our expertise in the health and uh, patients look up to eye infirmary uh, if whenever they need uh, any significant eye help. They do have access to their local eye hospital but even these hospitals also make a referral to Sunderland Eye Infirmary. Even though we are classed as a district general hospital, so we almost work as a tertiary or a quaternary referral centre here. And so we've got quite a lot of things going on in this hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to run through a bit of a list. So first of all, we've got, we're probably going to do individual uh, podcast episodes about all of these when we, when we can, uh, because they are so fantastic and we want to tell people all about them. But we've, um, one of the things we've got here is an emergency department. So we have a very, our very own INA. Yes, so this is again very interesting. I think Sunderland Eye is the only eye unit in the Northeast which has access to eye health care 24 hours, 365 days. It used to be slightly different where it was a walk-in center. It has recently changed our model. We had to adapt ourselves, taking COVID into consideration and also providing best care in the best place. So we do have access to patient, uh, uh, patient emergencies. 24 hours, 365 days, but now they have to call a triage line. Um, but we, we see a, quite a large number of patients in the eye department, it's in the emergency department. So if you have an eye problem, uh, rather than approaching an emergency department in Sunderland Royal Hospital or anything, you could contact uh, eye, emergency department in eye infirmary, which has got a specific number, uh, which is there on the internet if people want to contact and they can make an appointment to come to the emergency department and get treated. And that just means that we're ready for them if we're the right place to, to treat them. That's right. So that also avoids a lot of delay so that you don't have to keep sitting in the emergency department, wait for hours before to be seen. Uh, so we prioritize. And some of the conditions, we might be able to give advice over the phone uh, so that you don't even have to come to the eye department. There might be a place closer to you with an optician who can help you. Uh, so those are the things that we are tending to avoid so that patients don't have to make unnecessary journeys to the eye infirmary. Yeah. 
and I'm looking forward to having a chat to the team from uh, the emergency department here because I think the work they're doing is really fantastic and interesting and I think it's going to be really helpful to go into that in a, a little bit more detail as well. Um, and we also have our own theatres here, don't we? We do our own surgery. So we do have two sets of theatre here. One is an area called Cataract Treatment Centre, which is a regional centre for cataract surgery. It specializes in doing cataract surgery and we don't seem to do anything else there, uh, but it works really well. So if you are undergoing cataract surgery, you will probably come to cataract treatment center and uh, you go through a set of rooms which have pre-assessment, anesthetic room and then have cataract operation done. Uh, we tend to do about seven to 8,000 cataract surgeries per year. And then we have another set of theatres where we do all the rest of the surgery. I know most people know about cataract surgery, but most of them, most patients or public might not be aware we do different kinds of operations like squint correction where you correct on your muscles of the eye, uh, retinal surgery if your retina which is the film of the eye gets detached, or oculoplastic surgery or which is like plastic surgery around the eye when your eyelids are in not, not in the right position or they're covering the eye completely where you can't see through or the muscles are weak around the eye, we can operate on that too. Yeah. And we use lasers in our theatres as well, don't we? We do have different kinds of lasers in the eye department here. Um, we have three kinds of lasers. One is a laser to treat uh, diabetic eye disease where diabetes affects your eyes, you might need laser treatment to the retina. That is called argon laser. And there's another laser called YAG laser, which is mainly used to treat scar tissue that can develop after cataract surgery, or to make a hole in the iris to treat or prevent an acute glaucoma. And there's another laser called SLT laser, which is laser to, again, to aid you control glaucoma better so that you get independence from the drops or you might be able to delay surgery for long. Again, uh, most public, as soon as you say lasers, would think about laser surgery to correct for your glasses. Unfortunately, that's not part of the NHS setup and we don't do that in eye infirmary. That was going to be my next question because I know sometimes in our team we get inquiries from people saying, can you book me in and uh, we, don't, we don't provide that, do we? That's, a, the, that's something people do have to pay for. That's right. It's a totally a private service. Uh, rarely um, we might have to do that. NHS does commission uh, for some patients with uh, rare diseases of the cornea, which is the front of the eye, we might have to do that. So that's a very rarity rather than common. And that would be a referral and the patient would go through an assessment and process to have that done anyway? That's right. So they will come back and the corneal surgeon will assess that. And we also treat uh, patients who have um, macular conditions? Yeah, macular degeneration is the most common cause of visual impairment in older population. Uh, now, retina is the film at the back of the eye, like camera film, we've got a film at the back, and the center of the retina is called macula. That's important for your reading vision and central vision. If you have wear and tear related to age-related process of the macula, then it's called macular degeneration. There are two types of it, a dry and wet one, and if you have leaky fluid or blood on the retina, it's called wet macular degeneration. If you don't have that, it's called dry macular degeneration. The wet one is like an emergency, it comes on quite suddenly when you start seeing black shadows in the middle, everything gets distorted, straight lines appear distorted. That needs to be kind of diagnosed quite quickly and treated quickly and the treatment involves giving injections to the eye. And injections to the eye are one of the most common procedures that we do in eye infirmary. So if you, have a if you as a patient had that, would you know pretty quickly something was up? 
Yes, you would notice distortion quite quickly, but the problem with uh, conditions of one single eye is that your other eye compensates for it. So unless you close one eye, you might not be able to recognize that there's something wrong with the other eye. So it's worthwhile checking your eyesight. If you are checking yourself, close one eye and then see whether you can see equally between the two eyes. Unless you had you know, poor eyesight from childhood, you should have equal vision in both eyes. Okay, that's a good, that's a good bit of guidance there. Yes. Um, um, you've also mentioned glaucoma already, so what is glaucoma and what do we do to treat it? So glaucoma is a condition where the pressure inside the eye increases. Uh, there are different types of glaucomas, but for majority of the people, glaucoma is an asymptomatic condition. It doesn't tell you or doesn't give you any symptoms if you have glaucoma. This is something that needs to be recognized by an optician or an eye doctor in the hospital. So there is fluid circulating within the eye and if there is any blockage of this drainage there is more fluid built up inside the eye and that pressure continuously damages the nerve at the back of the eye and that affects your field of vision. Field of vision is how wide you see. So it starts from the side and then slowly creeps into the center. So when it is of this affecting your eyesight and it's on the side vision you might not notice any problem because you can see through straight okay. Uh, but the earlier we recognize it, the better we can manage it. We can slow down the progress with either drops, uh, which need to be taken regularly for a lifetime, or with lasers, as we talked about, or there are different types of operations you can do to improve the drainage of fluid from the eye. Right, there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And we also have uh, really busy outpatient clinics as well, don't we? So what do they treat and, and how often do they run? Outpatient clinics happen all every single day uh, in the hospitals, five days a week five at this point. And with, there are lots of clinics now happening over the weekend to catch up with all the backlog that we have that's come from COVID and also lack of staffing and you know lots of holidays that we had. And to catch up, we're doing some weekend work, but majority of the outpatient clinics run from Monday to Friday, uh, standard working hours, nine to five. So anytime, majority of our work in eye hospital is outpatient work actually. It's one of the highest number of outpatient appointments in the whole NHSEs for ophthalmology and probably dermatology is the second one. And what kind of uh, conditions and situations are they dealing with? So any eye condition that you have, most of the times it gets assessed in an outpatient clinic, whether it is, you know, blood vision, double vision or eyelid problems or squints or anything like that. We have different departments within the outpatient department like optometrists who work and look at uh, you know prescription glasses, specialized contact lenses, specialized uh, lenses to people who have visual impairment, uh, low vision aids and things like that. We've got an orthotic department, they look after eye movements and uh, we've got a photography department which takes photos of the back of the eye and front of the eye which has become like a, an important part of eye examination right now. And are they used as part of the diagnosis work? Yes, so progress? we have that photography and a diagnostic department which takes all the pictures that are needed to assess and uh, the doctors and nurses can make uh, use of those results and make a decision on what treatment that you need. We also have a ward here, don't we? Yes, Hagarth again, Ward. Hagarth Ward is a, a ward for the eye infirmary. It's very unusual these days to have a ward for ophthalmology. Uh, even uh, Moorfield Hospital does not have a ward, so we are slightly special. Uh, we have that facility available. 
Now, most of our surgeries nowadays is day case, so you don't have to stay in the hospital. But there are certain situations where you might have to stay back in the hospital or you have an operation with a general anesthetic where you might need to go through a ward uh, because of the need, you might need to stay back in the hospital after the operation if you don't recover well from the anesthetic. And children again need a place they start from and they might have to stay back uh, if they're not recovering very well. We got few beds, we don't have many inpatients, but we do have a facility to stay back. And I know you mentioned you, we look after children here, so we've got like a little uh, children's room that down there as well, haven't we? Yes, we do have a small children's room and we've got specialist nurses who look after children. Uh, children are a very important part of the eye infirmary. Uh, they do get different visual problems and they, they have very different needs to adults. So we have a specialist team, we have eye doctors specialising in children and they look after them. And are there any particular conditions that occur in children? more than adults? I think the one thing you need to remember is that your eyesight is not completely developed till the age of seven. So sometimes you might have a lazy eye or vision is not developed um, before that and it's important we recognize that and uh, if we recognize that there is lack of development of the eye, we can actually stimulate the eye and allow it to grow faster by patching the other eye or blending the good one. Uh, so the, if you don't take care of that until the age of seven, then your vision gets fixed at the age of seven. If you recognize it later on, you won't be able to do anything because the connections between the eye and brain are formed by that time and uh, you can't treat it. So squints and this lazy eye is very important that you recognize it very early in children. Right. And we also uh, run a school screening program. So I didn't realize that until we were talking about it. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. The school screening program is exactly is what I was talking about to recognize children with visual impairment early so that we tackle the problem and uh, we allow the vision to develop quickly and to the full extent uh, so that we don't have many adults with lazy eyes and poor vision. If you manage better, the vision can be improved and uh, visual health can be improved. Lately, I mean, you can be born with cataracts or problems like uh, genetic diseases. If we again recognize it early, uh, we can treat them. Lastly, there are some nasty tumors that can happen in children as well. You might not recognize it. One of them is if you see a child with white pupil, uh, if you take a picture and uh, you know that you get red eyes, mm. but if you don't get the red eye and your reflex is white, you know that there's something wrong. So there's either a cataract, there's a nasty tumor, something wrong with the eye that needs an urgent attention. Right, okay. Now I'm going to come back to eye tests and one of my questions is going to be when should we start getting our eye tests? Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll go through that later on. Um, uh, we also offer quite a lot of support for people with vision impairment as well. So what do we do to help them? So, I mean, we try our best to treat patients, but there are obviously conditions where we can't treat and there are a lot of patients with visual impairment. Uh, we have a department uh, called the Eye Clinic Laser Officer. We work with a charity called the Royal, Royal National Institute of Blind, RNIB and they supply us with uh, these eye clinic laser officers. They sit with the patients and they go through their lifestyle and work out if there is any way that they can help them, both visually as well as socially. So they're like a link between uh, eye clinic and the social services. 
So they advise patients on what are the common methods people use to cope with visual loss, and they give support patients with talking books and and uh, you know getting information in bold and how to approach different organizations for help and how to access help and there are different charities that can provide extra support to patients with visual impairment even uh, cane training blind dogs if uh, if necessary how to apply for them and they help patients applying for PIP applications and any um, applications for accommodation so that it is safe for them Brilliant, that's good to know. And I know that we all create a little bit on our website so that we can help direct people to go and get the help that they need because there's a team that look after them. So that's that's going to be set up and ready to go soon enough. And now the next two things on the list, I've got optometry and orthoptists. So what is optometry and what do orthoptists do? Like optometrists are like opticians. So the high street opticians where you go and your eye get tested. Uh, these are specialists in uh, checking your eyes to make sure that you've got correct prescription of glasses. They also have significant knowledge on eye conditions. So if there's anything abnormal that they see, uh, they refer patients to the hospital. The hospital opticians or optometrists, they are slightly more specialized than your high street opticians and they look after patients with visual impairment and have eye disease and you might need a, a complicated uh, contact lens assessment that your high street optician might not be able to do that we can try here and these optometrists also have some specialist roles some of the opticians specialize and they manage patients with glaucoma medical retina diabetes and other conditions they do run cataract clinics so they've got slightly advanced roles in the hospital apart from doing just testing for glasses right okay. orthoptists are different specialists they specialize in assessing the movements of the eyes so if you've got a squint or a double vision you get assessed by an orthoptist who assesses the movements of the eyes and they also specialize in examining children because it's uh, children that affect affected by the squint more often uh, but so they do look after children very well and they are the first people to see children when you come to the hospital. Very good. Um, and one thing I know that you're very passionate about and I know we've talked about it in other podcasts so we did one with uh, Dipali Barma who is our head of research, director of research. Um, you're really passionate about the research work that our hospital here does. Tell us a little bit about the kind of things that your team's involved in. So research is very important for the eye infirmary that keeps it at the forefront of the science and uh, we offer the best care that is available and best possible treatments that are available. Uh, we bring that to our population uh, quite quickly. So the research that's happening in eye infirmary, majority of it is retina at this point, but we do have some research projects into glaucoma, cataract and uh, thyroid eye disease. Uh, the retinal research involves treatments for macular degeneration, you know that there is currently not a huge amount of treatment options for dry macular degeneration and we do have significant number of trials going into that and we do have, uh, we do participate in a trial where we do gene therapy and we are one of the first units in the northeast to do gene therapy for an eye disease, uh, there are no other units who can do gene therapy and there is a trial going on to treat uh, dry macular degeneration for that. So what happens in gene therapy? So we find out what gene is defective and we propose that's the part of research. Research is all about uh, you know having a concept and having a, a theory. So we think that there's a probably one or two genes responsible for health of retina and if they're faulty you get this macular degeneration. 
So what we do is uh, you go into the eye, we remove the jelly which is filling the eye and we put a correct copy of the gene behind the retina which is the film at the back of the eye and that gene gets absorbed into the normal tissues of the retina and replaces the faulty gene. Hopefully it stops the progression of the condition also makes an improvement of the condition that you have. Sounds absolutely fascinating. It, um, it is. It will make a massive difference to, to patients, I'm sure. If it is successful, I think it will make a huge difference to a big population and it will solve an unmet need that's been going on for a long time. And with that specific trial, where are we in the, in the, in the, the timeline of it? How long will it take to come to a close and how, does that research presumably then get tested before it's shared? So research, as you know, has got different stages. Uh, very early research is called phase one research and uh, very advanced research just before it transforms into clinical practice or where we give it to patients is called phase three research. And uh, the gene therapy trial is currently in phase three research. So it's quite an advanced stage. So it might take a couple of years for the whole population to finish participating in the study and to study to come out of its outcomes. And the NICE, our organization will assess whether that is suitable to be implemented in NHS and whether they'll fund it. That's when we start implementing in NHS. And it could make a difference the world over? Uh, massively, as I told you, there's a huge um, number of population with dry macular degeneration and other conditions um, where it will make a difference. Gene therapy is not just for macular degeneration, it's being tried in treating diabetic eye disease and especially inherited eye diseases. We know exactly what gene is defective. Already there is a treatment that is funded by NHS for gene therapy for an inherited condition in the eye and more and more will come very soon. Mm-hmm. Very good, that's good to know. And we are also uh, ready for the next stage of our own future because this eye hospital is very well loved by our patients and its team, uh, but we are due to go and move into a new building in Sunderland City Centre on the former Vox site. So tell us a little bit about that and how was the project supported by the staff because I know they've been very involved, haven't they? Yes. So. As much as we love this place and we're all attached to this hospital, it's very old, Uh, it's almost more than 100 years old and the building currently doesn't kind of support the modern eye services that we would like to provide. So the trust has decided to go for a new build uh, project and we identified the site in Voxite. And we started consultations with the staff and the public almost two years ago. And the staff were heavily involved in each aspect of how we run the hospital, how we build the hospital, and what's the best way that will work within the hospital. So the plans are at a very advanced stage at this point where the drawings are being confirmed by the architects. And, uh, you know, we recently heard the news that the council and the trust board have passed the building project. Hopefully in two years' time we'll have a modern high hospital uh, replacing this old eye infirmary but the same level of staff and the continuum of service that is expected of the eye infirmary. Everything here is going to move over, isn't it? Exactly. Everything, all the staff are going to move over, all the equipment is going to move over, some of the equipment will be new, and uh, but the processes and the service delivery will definitely improve. Yeah. Because it's a lovely site where you have here, but it is quite difficult to get to by public transport. And even if you've got a car, it's not the most direct place to get to. And hopefully people will just find it a lot more convenient to get into the city centre and be part of of the Sunderland city centre as a whole. Absolutely. I think if you look at all new hospital projects, uh, hospitals are moving into the community rather than going away from the community. Some of the hospitals are coming in shopping centres and so that patients find it very convenient to go to the hospital. So I think moving to the city centre is the right idea. 
obviously the building unfortunately is very old and, and breaking down most of uh, most of the times and it's harder to find repairs uh, because of the nature of the building that we have and the asbestos that we have and things like that so those disruptions will decrease and we will be able to provide a very streamlined care in a place that is easily accessible to patients and it's just the next stage in the hospital's history because I've got a little bit of a, a few words here about um, the history of the eye hospital in the city. And I know you said it was settled because it was on the coast mm. for um, people who were at sea, but we know that the hospital was founded almost 200 years ago and the first site was in the east end of the city, then it moved to the Crow Tree area, then it moved to Stockton Road and now it's in Queen Alexandra Road, uh, which, and this was built during the Second World War, which is amazing. amazing when you think back about everything that was going on. <laughs> Um, and that was even before the NHS was founded, so uh, it was here ready to go yes, when that change happened. We celebrated about 175th birthday of the Eye Infirmary about 10 years ago. Uh, staff were really amazed to know all the facts about the Infirmary and some of uh, the staff have old records and uh, it's always amazing to look at the history of this place and how it was built and how useful it has been. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a fascinating place. I wonder if you wanted to run through some tips for good eye health. So one of my questions is, uh, how often should we get our eyes tested and when should we start getting our eyes tested? Is there an age where you would recommend people get their eyes tested from? Um, normally the recommendation is that you go for an eye test every two years. Uh, if you have a special condition or if you are at risk of something like glaucoma or your family history of glaucoma, then you're recommended to go like once a year. If you're diabetic, you should also go for diabetic screening program, which is different to what an optician does and checks your eyes. So you should continue both, both your eye test with your optician as well as going to the eye screening program. When do you start going for an eye test? I don't think there is a, an exact age, but you should definitely participate in school screening. If you had an eye problem to, that is identified in the school screening, then you should start going for an eye test since then. But if you don't, then as soon as you can, the earlier you start, the better. Um, the, after the age of 10, you could go for an eye test and then start you know, continuing with that. And what things do we need to do to look after our eyes? What, what do we need to think about? The one thing that I hear from my patients is eyes are very precious. And it's very important to take care of them and it's very specialised organ. So the, my tips to take care of your eye health, one is not to smoke. Smoking is very strongly implicated in many eye diseases. It is very strongly linked to this macular degeneration which causes blindness in uh, older age. The earlier you, if you're a smoker, stop smoking. The earlier you stop, the better. If you don't even get onto smoking, that's much better. The two, you wear uh, you know, protective glasses when you're doing anything that is uh, invasive, like drilling, working on uh, things that can create fast moving objects you have to protect your eyes, wear your eye protection. Uh, again, with fireworks, you, you need to make sure that you protect your eyes. Three, you have a very healthy lifestyle. Do eat healthily, lots of green leafy vegetables and oily fish in your diet. Make sure diet is good to protect your eyes. Four, you make sure your uh, regular eye tests are in time. So the, we just spoke, have a regular eye test. Even if you don't have an eye problem, there are lots of eye diseases which do not give symptoms. So you need to have those regular eye tests. Um, and uh, I think those are my four best tips. Lastly, I would say wearing tinted glasses in bright light, protecting your eyes from UV light is very important. So it's not just about looking cool. 
It, you got to look after your eyes as well. That's right. It's right. not <laughs> not for cosmetic sense, but it, cutting UV light protects you from macular degeneration. Oh, that is. Uh, I, I always forget to wear my sunglasses when I'm out and about because I've, I've got a prescription, so it's just having lots of different things to juggle. But yes, I do need to get into a better habit and yeah. driving as well. It's so much easier when it's bright. That's right. Have a, a pair of sunglasses on. Um, but for anybody who's interested in a career in a specialist eye service, uh, what advice would you offer them and what do you like most about working here? So working here, the last thing's first, because we are a specialist eyesight and uh, we work as a team. There's a very good family environment here and everybody knows everybody and we work very closely and we've got a lot of fam um, like staff events and the team works really cohesively in the eye infirmary. And that's what brings me to work. Even though I live in Newcastle, I chose to work in Sunderland. Uh, that's because of the nature of work and the kind of staff that we are involved with. Uh, if you are interested in working in high hospital, come over, always arrange a visit. Uh, you can speak to different specialists. And if that suits you, I'm sure you'll find something that is encouraging and that suits your way of working and we can absorb you. If you're a very specialist, like a doctor or a nurse, um, we can arrange um, sessions where you can observe what we do in the in the clinics and theatres and then you can choose your career, modify your career and do the right kind of courses. We will guide you and then we can, you could be absorbed into the team. Apart from very specialist roles like doctors, nurses, as I told you there are opticians who work here, orthoptists who work here. These are different courses that you can take in the university and then come back to work in the eye infirmary. There are many unskilled roles as well, so you don't have to be highly qualified to do those roles like photographs of the eye. You don't need to have a very specialist qualification to do that, but you could be involved in taking care of patients with uh, eye problems. We do have volunteers helping our own uh, patients, you know, moving around the hospital, going to different places. And there are different uh, portraying jobs as well as, uh, you know, uh, healthcare opportunities even with very minimal qualifications, you can get involved in the eye care. Because um, do specialists need to start off on a, a career to be a specialist or can do they need a, a good general background to then specialise? Is it a bit both? Uh, it's a bit of both. Um, for doctors, you, once you finish your medical training, uh, they do foundation training and after the foundation training they can enter directly into ophthalmology training which is about seven years and after that they sub-specialize into different parts of the eye like glaucoma or medical retina and then become consultants. Nurses they need just general nursing background and then they come and work in the eye infirmary and they can choose to do some ophthalmic modules during their working period in the eye infirmary and then get into more specialist uh, ophthalmic practice. Yeah. Um, and if anybody's interested in not just working here but across our trust, if you go to our website, the um, Join Our Team button is right there in the centre of our website. So if you click on that, it'll take you through to our jobs page and see what um, opportunities there are. Uh, AJ, thank you very much. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. It's a very nice experience. It's one of my first interviews and podcasts. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, people benefit from it. Yeah, and we are going to look at doing a few more to go in much more detail about all those services because they are. Uh, so fantastically well regarded and uh, important for our patients so it would be great to give them a bit of a rundown. Thank Brilliant. you. Thank, Thank you, Fiona. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our People Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up to date with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.